The information presented in this podcast is of a general nature and is intended for educational and entertainment purposes. While many of the people here have some form of mental health training, they are not your mental health professional. This podcast is not a replacement for mental or physical care or for the diagnosis of any mental health illness or condition. Thank you for joining us once again for the Guardians MH podcast. I am one of your hosts, Matt, and with me tonight is Joe. Hello, Nate. Hi, and Alan. Hoy hoy. If you are joining us for the first time, Guardians MH is a five hundred one c three nonprofit focused on promoting mental health awareness throughout the gaming community. We strive to be the a first step assisting individuals with gathering meaningful resources in a safe and inclusive atmosphere. Our podcast is another way to normalize talking about mental health and as a fusion of mental health topics and gaming. Please welcome our guest tonight, Derek Chung, creative director and founder of Emberwind. Hello, everyone. It's really nice to be here. Hello, hello. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Uh, It's such a pleasure to have you on. The last time we talked, it was just a great conversation and really was looking forward to this a lot. So thank you for... uh, taking time to come and hang out with us as you can tell it's it's a very casual atmosphere yeah mm. i mean the the casualness is something i quite prefer Great. so yeah, yeah this is good so six degrees of uh separation we had dr megan Can- uh, Canell on about a month ago now i believe and she spoke very highly of of ember wind and the first thing i ran to was the website I was like, okay, I need to check this out. Um, she said primarily because of the character creation and just the game itself is so, um, if I remember correctly, the way she put it was like almost like a personality test in and of itself. Um, but just the creation was very unique. And and here you are. And I'm so happy that I reached out and I'm happy that you responded. So Tell us, for those who might not know, tell us a little bit more about you, about Emberwind, and the game itself. Sure. Um, it's always a little awkward talking about yourself because you're not quite sure what to say. And at the same time, it's like, oh, no, are you saying too much? But um, but I guess like the, the most pertinent thing about me that uh, most people care about when they're asking me about things on these interviews is uh, my, my background, and, or specifically my professional background which is in, it's a mouthful, but I have a background in existential phenomenological psychotherapy, which, you know, in layman's terms, uh, really just boils down to two questions, which is asking people, what is the meaning of your life? And why haven't you killed yourself yet? Like when when I say that, I do mean that um, not completely seriously, like I, I am exaggerating a little, but really kind of the modality that I'm from is, is, all about trying to help you figure out um, who you are and kind of why you exist, why you continue to exist and really where you're going with your life and whether or not you're satisfied with it right now. And from there, like hopefully that already 
translates really well in everyone's minds to why I would want to put together, let's say, a tabletop RPG, because what better medium than something that's all about role-playing for you to experience this sense of self to explore, to discover, and to really kind of have a chance to uh, sort out kind of your feelings about your life. Yeah, no, you're right. <laughs> that's It's a great medium to explore that too, because uh, uh, just in my experience with playing as much as I do, I know everybody's got more time, you know, playing D and D uh, and tabletop role-playing games than I do, but I've seen people release a lot of a lot of things and put a lot of themselves into their characters and they utilize that medium to work out challenges that they might not feel comfortable exploring themselves, but having that vessel of, of their character, they're completely comfortable with having their character share some traits or struggles that they personally have and they're able to get it out in that group setting right there. Yeah, um, everything you're saying there makes a lot of sense. But I want to be really careful with how we talk about that type of thing. Um, it's one of my, and this is this is like a really humble, but like a firm belief of my own, that the characters that you create that mean the most to you, that you have the most fun with, are ones that there are definite pieces of yourself in. But I don't want it to sound like um, because you're carrying all these uh, similar personality traits in your character to yourself and you're working through all these different things that it's really only about the therapy at the end of the day what's going to be meaningful to you as a person is also going to be helpful in theory but it's also what's going to make a game fun right like it doesn't have to be all like serious business tell me like you know oh you know what did your parents do to you when you were a child type thing right 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 no, and and I and I think to the um, that combination of like mental health and tabletop uh, RPGs really is probably less about that, more about um, future goals. Um, definitely, there's an aspect of like social skill building. Very, I think, much more practical and pragmatic skills um, that can just be inadvertently taught within a tabletop RPG, for example. Um, before we, before we kind of get to all of that though, I'd like to jump in the gun. (laughs) No, not at all. Not at all. Again, casual. We do this all the time. Um, as you saw before we started recording, Uh, (laughs) what, what made you, or what, where was the transition from that to creating tabletop RPGs sort of full time? And I guess towards that creation of Ember Wind. Well, this is a fantastic moment for you to ask that question because this is like a perfect segue. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the reason why I brought up that point I just did regarding, you know, trying to make sure that we understand that gaming is gaming, even if there are mental health elements, it's not specifically and only for uh, mental health. The, the reason why I mentioned that is because part of why I transitioned from working in the formal structure of therapy towards gaming and the intersection of gaming and therapy together is because I was trying to make mental health a little more casual and perhaps the better word is more accessible to everyone. Um, I'm, I'm often quoted for this and keep in mind, this is just my own personal opinion. This is not a reflection of the general industry uh, of mental health. 
And please, if you're someone who is considering or feels like they need professional help, do reach out for that. Um, but there, there are a lot of questions that we don't ask ourselves as a society. And one of those important questions is, when did therapy become a thing? Right? Like we all kind of sit here and just accept that professional help is a part of life, right? If you're feeling really bad about something, you don't know why, uh, a very quick response that a lot of people have to that is straight up, hey, uh, maybe you should seek professional help. And that's assuming that you have people around to tell you that. And if there aren't any people around to tell you that, that's probably going to be the first like 50,000 hits you get off of Google when you search up what's wrong with you. That or, you know, you have cancer. But jokes aside, um, there, there's nothing wrong about that type of thing, right? Like everyone is going to need some sort of help and having a professional around that can help you understand and grasp at particular things that you can't make sense of is going to be really helpful. But we've also kind of as a society uh, existed for a very long time without the need of psychotherapy, right? Professional help. And uh, in those situations, we were happy confiding in one another, being able to share, grow, and be, you know, the best we can be through those type of more organic situations and circumstances rather than sitting in very specifically uh, like a therapist's office where you're on a couch talking for 50 minutes and an hour about whatever that therapist is asking you questions over. Again, and I'm going to reiterate this very carefully, that's not to say therapy doesn't work. Therapy is fantastic and does great for lots and lots of people. However, it's not the only way, in my opinion, that really helps people. In fact, one of the most predictive things of whether or not you are you know, mentally healthy and sound and just generally satisfied in your life is whether or not you have a strong support group around you, right? Friends, mm -hmm. family, whatever yeah. that is. So when I realized that, and I was thinking to myself, you know, uh, after a session with the client, um, like, yes, I was making a difference, or at least I hope I was making a difference. And I won't assume anything uh, with the people that I was seeing. Um, I was really limited in who I could reach. Right? It was specifically people who could afford therapy, who had the time to come to the office, uh, and also believed in therapy and yada, yada. Like, it's a very, very tiny subsect of people. And you know, I thought to myself, what about everyone else out there who can't necessarily afford all this, who doesn't believe in this type of thing? Um, or worse yet, just like, because I am one person, there's no way I can ever reach everyone else out there, right? And really, like, I, I can't be everyone's friend. So with all that in mind, I decided, you know, what better way of bringing people together than through a game and specifically a game that's built on a bunch of principles that specifically work and enhance therapeutic outcomes in a way that's kind of built invisibly into it. So everyone's not only having a good time, they're feeling better about it while they're playing without even realizing it. I mean, the, the one thing I'll, I, I agree with a lot of that, actually, um, because working within a lot of my work actually revolved around group work. And the most important thing was to see the, the, to see groups outside of the group form, you know, to be able yeah. to witness like people connecting from the group outside. Right. And I think it's also a larger component of like self-help groups such as AA and NA where uh -huh. yes, the meeting itself is very important and structured and needed, 
But then when you leave, you have the organic conversations with friends that you met and rebuilding of a support group. So yeah, I a hundred percent agree with a lot of what you're saying that therapy is kind of, therapy isn't, is, is important without it. I wouldn't have a job to be honest. Um, <laughs> but, but what is more important and actually a lot that I stress within some, within a lot of my sessions is the need for that social support once, you know, once our sessions are over. Right. Cause I tell a lot of clients I'm here for 45 minutes to an hour once, maybe twice a week, maybe you got a lot more of a week to go that you need other people to help or potentially help you with if you can. Um, and I, and I really love how that, that idea, that ideology transferred over into creating a full fledged game. To, uh, well, I'll, I'll say two things there. One, uh, to kind of like cap off that long ass ramble I just did into like a condensed, easy nugget to carry back. I'll just quote, um, one of my favorite supervisors back when I was doing, uh, my graduate studies, uh, which is that, and she put it really succinctly here, um, as a therapist, your goal is to work yourself out of a job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Because ultimately what you want is for people to be in a position where they don't need you anymore. Absolutely. Right? And mm-hmm. if that means establishing better habits, uh, you know, better mental health hygiene, establishing that support group, or just finding something that, um, you know, tying this back to the whole existential thing for me, um, provide someone with that like re- a raison d'etre right some reason to be um mm-hmm. that's that's what you got to do right mm-hmm. um yeah uh, the goal then, is for me to oh. be fired <laughs> i mean not fired <laughs> well not fired fired by the client that, there you oh, go yeah rather. that's what that's what i've said i had i had i i'll never forget i had clients say so you know i i guess this means i quit i said no no this means you fired me i was like then that's a good thing <laughs> yeah because yeah. we've because we, we've reached all the goals we've you know there's clear and evident progress in what we've been doing yeah no it's time to fire me and i'm okay with it <laughs> yeah yeah there, there's actually a lot of um interesting things like that uh little things you don't really catch until you're in the moment like um there's one time where i was working with a uh, rather depressed client who was thinking about um, killing themselves who halfway through kind of us working together um, one session started joking about offing themselves and i was like hey that's a great sign because the fact that you can you can talk about the topic with some sort of levity means that it's not as serious for you anymore so yeah to yeah and yeah yeah, absolutely Uh, and humor is such a great thing too at times (laughs) you know sometimes it's a it's a defense mechanism but sometimes it really is um therapeutic within a session um yeah i've you got to be careful with it sometimes but with the right client and obviously you know you know you get to know your clients you know the individual and personal signs absolutely yes very true very very true so Um, tell us a little bit more about emberwind itself sure um so uh i'll do that by addressing that second point i was saying earlier which is that since gaming is really about making sure that the people who are playing your game is having a good time, right? Like you, you, they're trying to have fun, right? To answer the question, what is fun or how do you access fun is uh, ironically very related to psychology. 
Um, so because of that, there was a lot of stuff that transferred really well from practicing psychotherapy into trying to design a game. Um, rather than worry about things like game balance, first and foremost, not that I'm saying I, I didn't, because that would make for a horrible experience. Um, <laughs> ultimately, uh, what we were prioritizing when we were trying to put together the game was trying to make sure that it would facilitate, like the experience that you have while playing the game would facilitate the ability for you to generate something memorable and meaningful to you, right? Mm. Um, and what is that exactly? Like, what is meaning? Uh, and it's different for everyone, right? Like one person might be like, oh, look, you know, I broke this game because I can deal like an infinite amount of damage in this period of time. And that's that's what I love. And yeah. then for other people, it might be something like, oh, you know, uh, it wasn't the stats that mattered to me. I was messing around in the tavern with all my friends. And um, because I did, you know, uh, a, a friend of mine ended up, you know, marrying the, the tavern keep or something like that. Right. Like just some <laughs> memorable, silly story. Right. Yeah. Um, so it, the question for me was really about trying to figure out how to make those types of moments accessible and possible for as many types of gamers out there. And I kind of drew upon my background, my training to figure out, uh, or at least, you know, following kind of where that philosophy led me to uh, design kind of the game from that point in the end of the day like emberwind plays a lot like your traditional tabletop rpgs of stuff like DD and so forth but while the end result is very similar the way that it's built isn't so much uh built up right so much as it approaches all the same problems from like a lateral angle if that makes any sort of sense whatsoever no absolutely yeah, yeah so, i like i was reading through it and i like the way that you don't you don't necessarily your, your your character doesn't necessarily get more powerful as they get better at doing what they're designed to do. You know, like in in Dungeons and Dragons, you just get stronger and you get bigger and you get you know more spells, you more of this. Creep. Yeah, yeah. Right. Whereas in Emberwind, it's like no, I'm just getting more specialized, more or less. Uh, it kind of is actually. There's a, a really hidden. And really cool nuance there, if I say so myself as the designer. <laughs> but um, I, uh, so, like, I'm not super familiar um, with your audience and how technical I can get with this. So, if I end up going off the deep end here, please stop me. Sure. But, like, um, one of the things I wanted to do was to make sure that the game was accessible to any type of player. And this is someone who is both uh, a complete novice to tabletop games or someone who was like, the neckbeardiest of neckbeards who's like stat crunched everything. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and to do that, we created, like I was saying earlier, a lateral leveling system, which is why we call them tiers rather than levels. And how it works is at each additional tier uh, that you gain, you don't get more powerful options. You get more specialized options, as you mentioned. Um, and to, to give you a quick example, Let's say, um, oh, actually before that, I should say, and your first tier options are always the simplest actions. So uh, to give you a quick example now, at tier one, let's say you have an attack that does 10 damage, right? Really simple, really basic. Mm. At tier two, you've now learned an attack that does five damage if the enemy is uh, upright or 15 damage if they're knocked prone, right? Mm -hmm. So 
if you select this option because you're that more advanced type of gamer who's strategizing this way, what is that going to do for your build? Where you're going to start trying to find ways to not be people prone. And right. even more importantly, this will now encourage you to try and set up synergies with the rest of your group. Communication, yeah. fun, everything, because you're trying to get everyone else to pick things that synergize off of prone or can inflict prone. But at the same time, let's say, uh, you know, you are that noob in the group. You have no freaking idea what's going on, right? You can stick to your super simple tier one options, which still do 10 damage flat, right? Because, um, and this is kind of the beauty of how we've designed the monster system. The enemies in the game have an AI system that actually figure out how you play and rewrite their AI until you can't beat them anymore. So if they recognize that you're constantly knocking them prone, they will learn that and then do everything they can to prevent that. On average, the specialist will do 15, sometimes five damage to the rest, dealing about roughly 10 damage, which is, guess what? The same amount of output that the noob is doing with their T1 moves. So uh, no one feels bad because no one's being left in the dust when it comes to effectiveness. But how you're achieving your result is very much something that's suitable for you wherever you are at your experience level for gaming. Hmm. That's nice. That's awesome. And I think something that's needed when it comes to uh, tabletop RPGs in general, right? You don't want to feel, you know, I can speak for, I'll speak for myself when I first started playing any type of tabletop game or actually even video games that matter too. The ones that have the hardest learning curve realistically are the ones for me that I kind of just gave up on because Mm -hmm. everybody else is 30,000 yards away from me. And I'm just here with a wooden sword. And I'm like, I still want to play. Um, <laughs> so having having that ability to kind of be able to just jump in and and go and, ha- and be able to pick up on the game quickly, even with a table filled with pros and experts and those who've been playing D&D since, you know, day one can mesh very well and mesh nicely. Yeah. Um, I think that's something that's needed. And you're right, too. I like that, you know, one person can say, like, listen, I can do the most damage if it's prone. Who can make a guy prone? How do you, what does your character do that can knock somebody down? Or what does your character do that can make him fall? Right? Again, team working, team building, and just awesome communication. Right. Yeah. Like the the whole... And again, this is just my own personal belief, but I've always found that RPGs are most fun when you're playing with people. And when you're playing with people, I mean, actually interacting with them, not just kind of all doing your own thing. Like how often have you played that D&D game where, you know, your wizard is doing some crazy spell and you're the fighter who can do nothing but stand at the front and roll basic attack every turn. Like that's not very engaging whatsoever. Mm -hmm. There's no synergy. Mm -hmm. That was my last character. Yeah. Oh, well, I, I apologize for... I, I, I unfortunately thought I would be cool and make a ranger, and it was like, I can shoot stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. and as you, you level up, you can shoot more things every turn. Shoot more, cool. better, and stronger, and yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the other reason why we did this is because we wanted to make sure that you could make the character your own, right? We yes. want you to feel different than anyone else so if you play the same class as someone else you're not playing the class that we intended you to play we want you to play your character your way um, which is why um, every character has 40 actions and 12 tie turns that you make some match create whatever build you want mm-hmm. and that's just scratching the surface one of the things that we've been working on right now um, is 
a hero creator system, which will streamline the process where you can make a character in like two minutes flat without even playing the game. Ooh. And it, with it, we'll be introducing subclasses, which adds another 27 options uh, that you mix Holy and match. Cow. 243 class subclass combinations. And that isn't even talking about the ways you can specialize and build them yet. My God, that's incredible. And the whole thing still only takes a couple of minutes for you to use to be able to that create something. That is super cool. I was just, I was looking through it and I was comparing the customization that you have now to like the customization in the game, like Skyrim, where you can make it however you want. Mm-hmm. And that's just adding more to it is that's super cool. Yeah. Well, that, the secret to that and how we can always expand is that I actually built Embrun, as I mentioned earlier, laterally, right? Um, yeah. And to achieve that, what we did was I built a skeleton for the game and then crafted modules. And you pick and choose the modules you want to plug in to create the exact system you want to play with. You feel like mm-hmm. playing with subclasses? Cool. Let's say I can't be screwed because like, I've worked a long week. I have no energy to build anything this invested. I just want to play a base character or hell, I don't even want to do that. I just want to grab a pre-gen and go, guess what? I can do that and I won't be left behind because our power level is roughly the same. Yeah, that's yeah. cool. Um, we even took it a step further. Like if you're creating your own character, we give you different options on how you make your character. Mm-hmm. So if you are the traditional RPG type that likes to roll stats, you can do that, right? And we give you the attribute system to play with. But let's say you... Uh, you're not into that. Let's say you're much more into um, something quick, simple. You have no idea what you're doing, but you have like an idea of your character, right? You can just describe your character with some words and those words that you describe them with, like they're strong, fast, or annoying like me. All of those things will have numbers associated with it and it will build your character for you. Yeah, that's really cool. How do you find that balance between having so much that you can customize, but also be it have it be um, easy and manageable to sort of jump into? How do you find that balance? That's a really good question. And I've got a couple answers to that. The easiest one and the funniest one is I give it to my wife. Um, My wife is very much a hardcore gamer, but she hates complexity. When I first asked her if she'd ever play a tabletop Archie with me, she said only if the rules were 10 words or less. I, I couldn't do that, but I was able to yeah. compress the core experience of everyone down to a single page. And she was like, okay, I'll meet you halfway. That's a compromise I can do. And lo and behold, she played it. So like, that's effectively what it is, um, where at any point I want to launch a particular module, I do the wife test. And I just hand it to her hmm. and go, hey, would you play this? Uh, and if she says no, then I know I got to go back to the drawing board. Um, for anyone out there who is like an aspiring game designer, care a little bit more about the theoretics behind it. Um, the way that I, I think about it uh, in a more like technical sense has to do with whether or not you can elevator pitch it. If you can't mm-hmm. convince someone to want to play or, or pick up your game or even look at it within like the first 30 seconds, uh, then your game sucks. That, that's not to say like the game experience isn't necessarily fun. But, like, there's so much work out there already in life. Why necessarily add that to the fun experiences, right? Like, a lot of people are happy and fine with complex games. And, like, don't get me wrong. I love complex games. I will play the hell out of them. But 
like is the complexity what makes it fun or is it the hurdle you have to get over so that you can access the fun yeah so yeah, yeah. um so what we did was we wanted to make it first and foremost we took every single system and compressed it to the smallest version it could be without sacrificing that customization that content the feeling of that sense of self that you can create with whatever that module is and then what we did was we took every single module other than like a core combat and a core role-playing module that you need and made them all optional so you pick and choose the things you want to play with and only play with that so you never run into a situation where the game is too complex because you get to design it in the in a way it's kind of like um popping open a video game and then having like a ton of option sliders and you pick and choose exactly what your settings are yeah um the cool thing though and this is where kind of uh i get called like a uh, i don't know like some sort of like black magician um Hmm. that scientist yeah right that that is a term that gets thrown at me a lot too (laughs) is that i made it work in a way where every player even if you're in the same group can run on your own individual setting of rules and still play together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like, if you're you know, a mad man, no. <laughs> yeah. So, like, let's say you know, Nate, you uh, you really, really like role playing, mm-hmm. right? And let's say Alan, you uh, you hate role playing. Uh, I don't know if that's actually true. Maybe who knows? Uh, probably the reverse. Around. Actually, reverse. Probably okay. the reverse. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Nate, let's say you hate role playing. Well, great. Uh, walk into any situation. You can role play by doing the standard traditional thing, which is grab a d twenty and roll it. Right. That's known as a skill check. Mm-hmm. But in that situation, you're not really role playing. You're role playing. I would, you know, literally roll a die if I had one in front of me. Right. Yep. Right. Um, and if that works for you, that's great. Right. Hey, hey, there you go. You know, you, you know, you're a nerd when you've got dice in reach at all times. <laughs> um, so, it's so true. <laughs> and then let's say Alan, right. You actually really want to role play throughout a scene. Mm-hmm. Well, we can switch out the skill check system with this. This is our deck of fate system where we replace your roles with success and failure cards. And the secret to how this all works and how we can transition everything is that we actually uh, use an inverted D20 system where rather than rolling something and adding a number to it, you're rolling equal or lower than to a target number. Mm -hmm. So um, a quick example, uh, let's say you're trying to fast talk me and convince me into something that I don't really want to do, right? Um, And you have a 16 in your fast talk skill. Well, in Nate's situation, he would roll his dice and try and roll a 16 or under, at which point, if he succeeds, great, he gets the outcome that he wants. I got a um, six. There you go. <laughs> in, a, in Alan's case, we set up a deck of cards where 16 are success cards and four are failure cards. Now you have a deck of 20, which shares the same odds as a D20 roll. And now you roll play through the scene. Every time you say something that convinces me of what you want, I'll add a success card to the deck. Every time you flub, I'll add a fail card. And when the scene naturally concludes, I'll draw one card from the deck and, oh, look, you know, you succeeded. And your odds have actually shifted based on how you roleplayed through that. Oh, wow. That's cool. But, Alan, you doing that has no effect on Nate, you rolling dice, because ultimately your odds are the same. It's just yeah. one of you decided to have a more in-depth approach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's cool. That's a really neat that's, way of doing it. Yeah. Because you get to tailor the game to how... One, how you want to play, but also how hard, I guess, in a sense, or more story focused yeah. you want the game to be. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. 
it makes it so for the people who are really, like you said, really into the role playing, you're not stopping them and saying, well, hold on, roll, see if you get it. And then, you know, I'm going to interrupt your flow here. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And to bring kind of this back to psychology, there's two points here to be made. One is, uh, and this is the easier one to make. um, There's a concept in psychology known as scaffolding where what you're trying to do is you're trying to not necessarily be the teacher in the room where you're the expert disseminating knowledge always. Because in, let's say, a classroom, a lot of the time, there's a huge resource uh, and pool of knowledge that you can get uh, as a student from other students, right? And you can effectively scaffold off of them and learn things that you otherwise couldn't or the teacher would never be able to teach you. So by simply, let's say, having Nate and Alan using both these different systems in the same session, uh, Nate, over time, watching this might end up feeling comfortable enough to try a little bit more when it comes to role-playing rather than just rolling dice. Right. And if you do so, well, great. You know, you've scaffolded off of Alan. You've now widened your skill set. You've become more comfortable with different things, and you've grown as a person, which is super cool. Or you might say, ah, oh, that's not for me. And that's also great because now you've figured out a little bit more concretely who you are as a person, what you like and don't like at this moment. Um, yeah. and, I, and I like that because, you know, again, if I if I do decide to, you know, what, I'm just not feeling it today. I brought my right. dice. And mm-hmm. that's the whole dynamicness of it, too. Any of our systems can be turned on or off down to the turn. So if let's say your GM uh, halfway through a combat session decides, I don't feel like manually controlling the creatures anymore. They don't have to. They just turn on the AI system and now the AI will take care of it. The, the, whole, nice. the whole point to all this and the reason why we built it this way is really down to this one keyword known as accessibility, right? Like everyone everywhere talks about accessibility, right? But they also talk about in the sense of knowing your audience, you can't pitch a game to absolutely everyone. And <clears throat> that's more or less true. There are definite criticisms and limitations behind Ember Wind and the design I took with it. For example, um, anyone who's really used to, you know, having 20 plus levels in your D&D game, uh, when you look at Ember Wind and see that we only have four tiers because we had to compress it that way to make the numbers work, uh, you'll look at it and go, oh, not enough content. This isn't the game for me. And that's perfectly fair uh, as a criticism. But what we were trying to do was we we're trying to make a system that could appeal to as many audiences as possible because at the end of the day, a... Like, we want you to have the most shots at enjoying gaming with everyone that's in your life, not just particular cohorts, not just particular individuals or, or types of people. Um, we really want to make sure that everyone you want to be at your gaming table, who's around your gaming table. Like you said, it goes back to that, that cohort, having that social support, being able to engage in a social way. And this game can be it no matter who's at the table. Yeah, um, this is one. So, like, I'm I'm hesitating a little to say this, but one of the reasons. Okay, Joe will edit it. If you don't <laughs> want it said. <laughs> no, it, it's 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 fine. I'm just trying to figure out a good way to say this without uh, necessarily insulting uh, a bunch of people who play tabletop games. Um, oh, and I don't mean this in. You gotta I, say I, it now. No. Okay. Okay. <laughs> like, I I don't mean this as an insult, but. Mm-hmm. A lot of games, especially games that are geared towards generating a mental health experience in gaming, puts a lot of responsibility and onus on the GM. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Like, you need... And the thing is, uh, all of those games also just kind of assume you're a GM or not. Like, no one teaches you how to GM. And that leads to a lot of problems where, like, 
uh, first and foremost, like let's say you're playing D and D, there's I think it's roughly about twenty players to one GM, which definitely isn't a a good ratio. Um, and that doesn't right. even speak anything about the GM's uh, ability, right? Like they could be a great GM, they could be a terrible GM, who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, and this gets even worse when you combine it with things like conventions where they ask you to use mental health tools like the X card, like how many GMs out there know what that is or how to facilitate something that could stumble into an impromptu group therapy session, right? Basically right. none. Yeah. So um, one of the things that I tried really hard to do with Emberwind was not necessarily remove the GM, but make the role of the GM something as optional as you wanted it to be like you could be as much of a gm as you wanted as little of a gm as you wanted to playing with literally no gm or even running the game single player um and that that's something that uh a lot of like really traditional enthusiasts about rpgs um they take a lot of issue with emberwind over that uh, over because they're like well you know if there is no gm to play off of uh is this really like a true role-playing experience yeah yeah, and and to that, um, I, I mean, no, not really. I, I suppose based on that metric. But the the best way to phrase that then is that it's not like that type of thing is impossible in everyone. But like, there are so many tabletop games out there already that are catered towards that type of experience that I really wanted to build something for everyone else, like the ninety nine percent who want to play tabletop games but have never been able to get into it. Right. Right. So, but it also opens up that accessibility to uh, people that are just starting out too, that might not have all that experience as a GM, but oh. have very eager friends that want to do it too. It opens up that accessibility, like I said just a minute ago, to be able to run a game and have the assistance like the AI running the, the monsters and having the cards, you know, somebody might not like the dice or this and that, but they like, you know, they attach more and relate more with the cards. It makes it easier for them, but they can still share in that same experience and encounter and go forward with just having a good time. Yeah. In-house, um, we have like a mode called flow uh, that's that's built so that you can kind of dynamically rebalance the difficulty game based on how well the party's doing that, uh, again, sorry, in-house, uh, we we nicknamed kind of like GMing, but with training wheels. I dig it. <laughs> I dig it. I like training wheels, too. Yeah, yeah, me too. As someone who's uh, never learned how to ride a bike properly. <laughs> not alone. I'm not alone. <laughs> Thank you. Hey, Thank hey, you. hey. Let me... I, I mean, okay, okay, sure. We can, right. we can both embarrass ourselves <laughs> together, yeah. I'm, I'm, loves company, right? I'm very good at embarrassing myself. <laughs> um, you mentioned before, um, you know, you mentioned before the X card, but I think more importantly, just the importance of having people at a table and to sort of dip into, um, I guess, the other part of our conversation today. Um, being able to, and I think this is one of the difficulties of, of like a GM, especially if you don't know the X card, you know, and you are a heavy role player or a heavy role playing group, there are tendencies to kind of run into a lot of high emotion moments, whether anticipated or not. Right. Cause I think the other, the other aspect too, and we can go down the whole other road of parasocial relationships too, but we are, you know, at least the way that I see it, like we're connected to our characters in some way, shape or form. Um, and whether they, you know, 
whether we're attached or whether we're attached to another player's character or something happens in game that can somewhat relate to what may have happened to us in real life, you do have shared moments or shared experiences that could happen at a table. You know, in your, I guess, experience, both both within as a therapist, but also in creating like in creating these games, have you ever encountered something like that or have you ever been you know what what are some of the ways to potentially manage emotions as they come up so um i've definitely run into that i'm pretty sure everyone who's role played for any period of time has run into something like that at some point in their experience and uh it's very very hard for anyone to to deal with and, and go through um mm-hmm especially on the GM who's often, again, the, the scapegoat who's made to have to handle all these things when they don't necessarily know what they're doing. They just showed up to try and create a cool, immersive world for people to play in. Um, I guess to, to better answer that question, the first thing uh, I'd like to kind of throw back at you uh, is a question yeah. where um, how do you really define like what is a heavy role-playing moment or session? Right? Is this something that's Overly yeah. dramatic? Uh, are we talking about like it being you know deeply involved with your character, or like are you losing yourself the role? Like, what exactly are you talking about? Interestingly enough, the one thing that comes to mind, especially for me when I first started uh, DMing a game, um, I did have an incident where, and unwillingly or unknowingly rather, I created a scenario for a player where they lost their father. And it turns out that this, in particular, this individual really did lose their father in a somewhat of a tragic way. And unfortunately, this moment brought up a lot more than, than just a character moment. This brought up something really within their life and was something that, you know, I paused the whole game, kicked everybody out of the room and was like, okay, let's talk. Um, because I had no other way of handling it at that point in the moment, right? I'm not supposed to be a therapist in that moment. And so I'm trying not to be. Um, but it, it brought up in, and I guess some incidents like that or, or moments like that that can happen within a game, you know, I dealt with it or worked with it, I should say, the best way that I could, just reassurance, validation, things like that. And afterwards apologizing profusely for months because i you know looking back on it now and knowing more things that i do now i should have taken the time to kind of do an x card or do sort of a a do and don't checklist for players at the table um but moments like that i guess okay um so um i'll take what you just said and kind of run it through uh kind of my own thoughts uh based on the modalities that i have to recontextualize it and then from there hopefully provide an answer that'll be satisfying no matter Um, what it'll be satisfying (laughs) (laughs) so um first and foremost i don't think there's such a thing as a character moment Mm. um and and that's not to say that they don't exist Mm -hmm. but what I believe are moments that you really carry with you and really care about, they're not so much character moments as they are you moments. 
right? The characters that you're most attached to are reflections of yourself. They are things that help you process a particular part of yourself. In, in a certain way, and this is kind of what I was alluding to or talking about earlier, there's a sense of self in your character that is um, not only you, it's arguably more important to you than even who you are sometimes. Um, I might be... So, like, again, I'm going to say this in a really informal way. Um, yeah. So, like, don't don't take this as, like, mental health advice. But um, one of the things that, like, I, I experienced in a lot of my sessions when I was talking to people who, uh, for example, struggled with depression um, was, interestingly enough, like, it, let me phrase it this way. Um, what do you think is the most common word people use when uh, they're depressed? Sad. That's a good guess. Not right, but good guess. Anyone else want to give that a try? <laughs> Hopeless. I'm all right, I guess. Hopeless. Fine. Right. Yeah. I hear a lot of fine sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. All of those things come up quite often. Um, but the word, the actual word, that, at least in my sessions that I heard the most, is I. It's not fine. It's not any of that. It's specifically I. And um, so it's kind of spin this in a little more colloquial way so that um, anyone listening to this will have a chance to kind of uh, understand what I'm talking about. I'm certain um, many people have, though I really hope you don't ever have this experience. You've had people in your life that have been in some sort of really sad, hopeless situation, right? That have, that has felt really, really bad about something or uh, that was going on or just for no explicable reason. And uh, you might go up to them and do your best to try and care about them. And you'll be like, no, 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 things aren't that bad. You know, you're great. I care about you, all these things. At which point um, that particular person might, you know, look back to you, weakly smile, say I'm fine or something like that, but completely disregard everything you say. Uh, maybe not immediately, but in the next couple of times that you meet until they start talking about, you know, uh, it doesn't matter what you think. Uh, I think this, I, I'm horrible. I'm whatever, right? I'm hopeless, blah, blah, blah. And effectively what's going on there, uh, at least again, based on the modality training that I have, is that uh, everything you're trying to convince them of is your experience of that particular person. It's not their experience, which is why it doesn't mean anything to them. And at the end of the day, what you're doing is just saying a bunch of platitudes that don't resonate. And sooner or later, if there isn't something that is resonant that can change their concept of their self, uh, they're going to not only burn out warding off feeling bad, but also burn out trying to take care of your feelings because they don't want you to feel upset for being ineffective at caring about them. So in those particular situations, um, what will stick, as horrible as it sounds, are going to be those negative elements in their life, right? Someone who does tell them that they're horrible, be it, let's say, an abusive spouse, a uh, parent, someone, something, right? That That's the only thing that they'll hear. And the reason for that, in my opinion, is that that actually, you know, carries that resonance. So if, if we take that particular concept and apply it to something like a character, uh, that role-playing, the moments that we care about the most, those character moments that we remember and believe, they mean something to us either directly in what's being said by that character or uh, in some way that's reflected by that character's uh, reactions. For example, if someone like, uh, let's say I'm someone who's really not like 
extremely insecure, but like, you know, I, I suffer with some sort of anxiety and I'm always wondering how well I'm doing. If you, if I, you know, do like some dramatic speech and at the end of the session, you tell me, Hey, you know, that was awesome. I'm going to carry that compliment with me, right? That's going to make me feel good. And that character is going to become much more memorable to me. And that's why that moment matters. It's not so much what I said as the effect of me saying it, that, that actually became what I carried. Um, so kind of in that way, I, I don't know if you need formal training for this type of thing, but ultimately I think the best way to deal with particular situations where something heavy comes up, like in your situation with that particular uh, player who had a parent die, um, it's to be respectful of that person and really kind of experience that person and let them know that like this is a place that you're someone who they can if they wish to talk to about all these things and you'll do the best that you can yeah yeah like it, you don't have to be a therapist to say hey i care about you that's true no yeah right absolutely not yeah yeah and you know sincerely mean it that's the most that any of us can can really do just want to be there for someone can we, make we a can huge difference yeah, like we can get really deep talking about particular tools like an X card or other things out there. And I'm happy to discuss kind of the strengths and weaknesses of each of those particular things. Um, but really, it's about that spirit of just caring about another person as what they are, right? That seeing them as that human being in the moment who really needs you. Yeah. Yeah. And I think with, with the tools that you mentioned, I think the X card and even... Um, one that was introduced to me was the um, RPG checklist, mm-hmm. right? And it basically gives you like, you know, hard no. Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'm okay with it uh, sometimes or green means go like, sure. Give me all yep. of it. Um, and so there's, and I think that's great. The X card in particular basically gives all players a sense of security where if something comes up, you raise the card, you raise your hand, whatever it might be. That topic is skipped over. There's no questions asked, and we continue with the story. Um, the checklist, though, I, I think I think that those two aspects are more preempt. Um, is preemptive the word, or it's just helpful at the start? Um, I think no matter what, no matter how much preparation, you can still always run into something that might happen. Um, and I think he's like just just exactly what you said. Being kind, being non-judgmental, being just very open and honest and saying, hey, I'm here. You know, that really got to you. You know, let's talk about it. I'm here for you if you need anything. Just, again, that aspect of support and yeah. to to connect it to the front of what, of what we the start of what we were talking about. You don't need to be a therapist, but also, too, it's those connections that you make and that social support. That's really going to help you in the long run. Yeah. The, what I'll, I'll say to that is I have a really strong love-hate relationship with the X card and related mm. tools like the RPG checklist. The reason why I love them is exactly as you said, it creates the sense of security for people, right? It, these are tools that are more or less kind of easy to use. They're the best things that we've got that we can easily distribute. So like if you step into a 
a random pickup group at a convention that you've got, you know, something you can call on if anyone ever makes you feel really uncomfortable, right? Super, super great in that sense. The reason why I hate them, however, is because it feels cold almost. Mm. Um, And there's a cost to uh, these particular tools that no one really thinks about or even talks about. For, For instance, and I'm not saying this is always true either, but with the X card, we are creating a situation where we're prioritizing the group's comfort. Is everyone at the table okay with whatever was said? And if not, you get to flash that X card, right? Mm. Well, what happens if you're the, the one person who has, you know, something really deeply bothering uh, to you, right? Like you've got this situation that you really want to talk about with someone anyone and you don't know anywhere to really do any of this other than let's say at a um you know pickup group at a convention again right because like that might be the only socialization you get and when you bring it up there if everyone immediately flashes the next card and says no we don't want to talk about it how does that make that particular individual feel right right yeah yeah um that's not to say the that the x card is bad in any way right like not everyone is prepared to work through someone else's trauma and there's no reason why anyone should be held hostage to do that especially if you're just there to play a game no Um, of course not the the way that i'd actually want to restructure it though i wouldn't begin to know how is not so much trying to make people comfortable by removing discomfort but making it so that people can feel comfortable within discomfort um yeah Right. It's it's a beautiful way of putting it, but, but it's, how it's you diffi- do that is... It's is, difficult in practice. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's very much, I think, a structured... See, I think that right there would be much more of a structured... I think that would have to be almost like therapeutic in nature, right? Because yeah. that is, you know, we talk about distress tolerance, right? Right. Um, and how to, or excuse me, actually how to increase frustration tolerance, how to, to continue to practice and build up better emotional regulation. Right. Especially in the face of, you know, trauma in there, there is aspect of trauma work where we talk about desensitization. For example, if, you know, you have a, you have a client who, you know, and this is, um, this is a pure example, but is afraid of ambulance uh, or afraid of fire trucks, whatever it might be, because a loved one of theirs passed away in one. Right. So there is a trauma associated with an ambulance. At the end of all treatment, there is this desensitization because you can't go your whole life being afraid of things that are going to innately try to help you. So you step towards the ambulance and little by little, you gain strength back. You gain an increase in frustration tolerance towards that. And so you're right. There is a need at some point to be comfortable with what makes you uncomfortable. I, you know... (laughs) <laughs> the table might not be the greatest place to do that though i think mm. in my mind at least the way that the way that i would the way that i would view that oh no i i definitely agree with that um and that's where a lot of the challenge is but at the same time yeah. like if let's say someone has a heart attack at a convention they have a heart attack there you better get help if you're the person around because you're the only oh, yeah. one that can right so Absolutely. if someone at that moment at that table has opened up this thing, even if you are not a professional, even if it's really difficult to deal with, it was laid at your feet. What are you going to do with it? Right. There's a responsibility there. 
you're you're calling you're you're yelling for help you call 911 and if you know it you're doing CPR and getting the AED <laughs> you know yeah that's what's happening um my whole CPR training just kicked back into my head as soon as you said <laughs> uh, that thank you right yeah um, <laughs> um but, like, but yeah you're right yeah yeah that's kind of effectively what happened too if let's say you're playing an RPG session and someone brings up something uh that's really uncomfortable with the rest of the group, right? Like at that moment, this is them trying to work through something that's really important to them. How do you answer? Because that's there for you now. You have to deal with that, right? Yeah. And it's and it's not easy, right? Like uh, take it from, you know, both Matt and me who are professionals here talking about this and we're like, we have no idea. Like we've got our best guess, but that's, that's still definitely not enough. Um, but like it, a lot of the time, the best is all we can do. Mm. Yeah. And that goes for everyone. So um, really yeah. what what I'm trying to say isn't to not use things like the X card, because they really are very invaluable tools. It's about thinking about what using that X card really means before you pull it out. Yes. I think that you, ha- you hold the responsibility with that card as well too. Yeah. Right. If this is a true, real hard no, Absolutely, raise the card. Oh yeah. If if it's something that you're even like fifty fifty on, if you can manage it, see what happens. As the scene goes on, if it gets worse, no, absolutely, raise, still raise the card. But I, I think really it's the responsibility of the player who holds the card to really know when it's very appropriate for them to raise it, not just sort of at anything either. I think. Mm-hmm. You know, um, one of the things I, I know we've spoken about, because um, I took the um, therapeutic game master course with with uh, Geek Therapeutics. Mm-hmm. And one of the things we actually spoke about was, well, what if you do have, you know, a group of kids that are just raising their hands at every moment? Well, then it's really like you're pausing the game completely. And what are we doing, guys? Are we playing a game or what is it? It's a reset. Yeah, it's a reset at that moment. So it is the responsibility of the person holding the card and having trust in that table, I think, yeah. too. And again, it goes back to the social component of it. You know, right. if everybody sort of trusts each other or if there is this innate sense of I'm going to use this only when I need to use it. Yeah, then it works beautifully. Pat, that's actually another really important thing that I find a lot of people don't think about, too. Or, or even put the attention towards, which is if someone does like truly and really needs to pull that X card at the moment um, to not just go, okay, we're going to skip over and move on. But at some point also go back to that person and ask, you know, Hey, you know, you pulled the X card here. I just want to make sure that you're okay. Um, mm-hmm. Can you tell me a little bit about like why you did that? If you're comfortable enough to do so. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. You know, I agree with that. The X card should not, you know, not at that moment, I guess, per se, when the card is pulled, but after the session, during the break, whatever it might be. Yeah. Checking in. It's a check-in. Everything okay? Just making sure. So you pulled the card. I had no problem going past the scene. Just want to make sure you're okay. And what happened? Yeah. You know, I again, I think that's a sense of you don't need to be a therapist. You just need to be a good person. Exactly. I mean, I I swear um, the most important part of being a good therapist is just to be a good person who wants to 
have a good relationship with the people that you're with. In fact, and this is hilarious, um, uh, like meta-analyses across every therapy style has found that the only thing that predicts whether or not you're feeling better is that therapeutic relationship. Absolutely. Or in other words, the style doesn't matter. It's just whether or not you like your therapist. That's it. You could be, <laughs> you can be, you could, you could be the expert of CBT and still have the one client who's going to run away because they don't like you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I've said it on here before too, but I've told everybody like, listen, I might not be the therapist for you. That's okay. Tell me. And I will, you know, we'll talk about finding you somebody else. I don't need to, I am not supposed to fit. You're not supposed to fit to like me. Right. Right. If this is not working, be open, be honest. Tell me, I'll find you somebody else. We'll work together to find you somebody who you, you know, might work with better. Although I will add to that. And for anyone listening, please, 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 please not liking your therapist is not the same thing as not having a good fit with them. Yeah. Right. Like if you don't like your therapist because they're making you do things that you don't, uh, that's not comfortable, but you're ultimately feeling better because of it, please stick with them, work through all that. Uh, there, there's a whole culture of people who shop for mental health, where they're just going around trying to find a particular mental therapist that'll like pat them on the back to give them that feel good boost every week. Mm-hmm. That's that's not what therapy's for. It's awful. Yeah, it's not for that at all. Find the one who find the therapist who will challenge you, but in the most non-judgmental and supportive <laughs> way possible. Yeah. At the that's end the, of the day, you yeah. just want to be the best you you can be. So find someone, whoever it is, that can help you become that. Sounds yeah. kind of like trying to find a primary care who's never going to actually ask you any questions and you just tell them, oh, my ankle hurts, write a prescription. And they go, okay. Yeah, yeah here's every Doctor sh- you want. Doctor shopping and therapist shopping are very similar. <laughs> yeah. But um, not, wow, we, we have discussed a lot. Yes. Yeah, in fact, I don't I love know. us. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if we even went to kind of talking a little bit about like, um, I think in the, the subject list you sent me, we were supposed to talk about like, how you're supposed to work through with these particular like heavy situations too, or like ways you decompress. Yeah. And I guess we could touch upon that too. Um, Joe, are we good on time before we move forward or. Yeah, we're still good on time. We okay. Got, just making uh, sure. Still got about a uh, 22 minutes until we're, we're starting <laughs> to wrap things up. So that'll turn into an hour for us. Great. Yeah, um, about <laughs> exactly 22 <laughs> but no so yeah i guess in a sense after the sessions and we 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 did touch upon it a little bit um but more so after the sessions and what do you think is best to sort of if you were the one who had an, a moment or had kind of like a distressing experience during a role play session or dur- during a, a tabletop session uh, what are the best ways do you think do you mind if i pull that back a little bit um from talking about let's say only distressing to like generally what you do absolutely session close. Yeah. Cause yeah, I think that'd I think be more useful yeah. for everyone. I agree. Yeah. Um, and in that way, uh, I think it's extremely helpful to do like, I, I suppose the best way to put it would be like either a sense of closure or continuity. Mm. Um, a lot of the time what happens with sessions that really brings up a lot of that anxiety is not knowing what comes next, right? For people. So 
Um, let's say, you know, you did have a difficult session, something blew up in your face, and now you don't know if you're ever going to be invited to that game table back, right? Or, uh, you know, let's say you were playing a game, a counter goes really poorly, and it's just like a normal session, and, you know, your character dies. What next, right? Having the ability to alleviate any anxiety tied to that um, really, really helps. And especially if you can do so in a way that gives uh, a particular next step or a send-off that feels like you're respecting that person, that character, whatever it is in the best way possible. Like, we've all had a situation where, you know, we've had our character die because we rolled a bunch of, you know, critical failures, right? And then through the, the die and the cursed uh, prison to never be released again. Yeah, you might mm-hmm. give it to your DM if you hate them, but, you know. Um, but, like, that particular sting of that character death feels a lot better if your character dies in a way where you can scream out the top of your lungs if you were still alive. I died and it was glorious, right? Like in that mm-hmm. moment, you've, you've given meaning to that death. And in that sense, given meaning to that person's particular character, that person's self in a way that I think can be really helpful. Um, other kind of more practical suggestions and, you know, a, a fun one I like to do is to title the session. Um, because like the title uh, for writers anyways of like an episode or something like that is all, often the last thing that they come up with, right? You got to right. find something that fits the entire episode. So having the chance to, as a group, talk together and try and figure out what you'd name, you know, your session, your, your episode, uh, can be a really fun way of wrapping things up. Yeah, absolutely. I never nice, thought about yeah. that one, actually. Yeah, I mean, you can kind of do it the more standard and formal way, which is, you know, asking uh, the people if they had, like, questions, comments, or concerns, setting out even, like, a, a Google form where you have people fill in a survey on, like, a seven-point scale, how much they rate having fun with you, right? But, like, that feels a little cold to me. <laughs> it does, although I'm, I'm about to write down, ask Cram to do a new form. <laughs> Cram is our... Uh, uh, technical uh oh my god why can't i think uh-huh. he's a programmer he's, he's the lead programmer and he's amazing <laughs> for everything we do at guardians i'm sorry cram <laughs> anyway i didn't mean to interrupt but you know yeah, no, no uh, worries. i don't like know um and you know there like there are some more generic suggestions here that are really important to mention which is just if you've done something that's like as heavy as uh you know role playing something difficult just in, in general, anything that has drained you any, find something you like to and do that thing that fills you back up instead, right? For me, uh, that's after like a, a good session might be something like sleeping it off or, you know, grabbing uh, one or maybe like a dozen cold ones to down, depending on how heavy that was. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. You take care, take care of yourself. Do what makes you feel better. Do whatever's going to refill I, I've been using the analogy of, of, of like a cup. You know, if your cup is empty, what are you going to do to refill it? Um, yeah, that's what a. Uh, I mean, a lot of therapists use cup. A lot of people use spoons too. Like you've got so many spoons, you've given away your yeah. last spoon. Now what? <laughs> I don't know why spoons, but you know, sure. Yeah. Um, um, maybe because people collect spoons. I don't know. I mean, if you're going to be a nerd about it, at least talk about it in <laughs> dice, right? Come on. <laughs> True true i really do like and something i i think i want to incorporate a little bit more to like in personal games 
um, is that sort of closeout with everybody. Because I think a lot of times what happens is everybody packs up and or they they just leave. You know, yeah. Yeah. Or they just, you know, X out of the, the discord or the Zoom call. And there's like there is no there's no closure here. So right. I think that's I think that's very nice and something that everybody needs. It It's kind of like how after a group therapy session, you sit around with everyone and do like a little debrief. Like, okay, so what did yeah. everyone learn? How does everyone feel? Right. Like you can do that after a good long session too. Everyone's committed several hours, you know, their uh, best character performances, the time, like whatever it is, that's heavy, right? It, you should have some time to close shop with everyone. Yeah. Well, and then there's a question, how did everybody feel about killing the tavern keeper? Like, were we okay with that? Or <laughs> <laughs> I mean, why did that happen? No. <laughs> at some point you'll build like a rapport with the, your players and, and the GM um, where you'll be like, oh, you know, this is what everyone's sense of humor is. Ha ha. That's funny. Versus, oh, oh, should not have done that. Should not have done that. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Was there a real need to fireball everyone? <laughs> Could we not angle that a little bit more? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, like my own personal flavor is towards a little bit more, um, humorous campaigns because having a bit of that levity um really helps even break up tension in the more serious moments um so that you know people have some breathing space uh yeah and you know having your uh, accidental incineration of all the surrounding with uh misrolled fireballs it <laughs> can be really funny right so um that's, that's kind of like an in-session tip rather than a post-session tip but like um, find ways uh, to make failures fun. Yeah, it, that'll make the debriefing a lot easier too because it's not just like, oh man, oh, you know, after a hard work week, uh, you know, everything is horrible. I just wanted to have some fun and now I've just been hit with like the most grim, dark drama I, I have. Like, I'm not sure that player would necessarily keep coming back after that, you know? Right, right. Yeah. Uh, I remember one of my games, like, we had a we had a player character who it was it was a D and uh, they they ran they had a wild magic, right? And I, it was it was amazing. It was perfect timing for this character and for the rest of the party too. Wild magic made her a potted plant, <laughs> <laughs> and we just all ran with it. Like there was one point where we, we picked up the plant and we're running and the whole table is just laughing hysterically because this is one of like the biggest like bosses that we've been facing. It's like a pinnacle moment in the campaign. And all of a sudden our main sorcerer is now a plant and we're all picking them up and just running away now. <laughs> and you're right though, but it is moments like that in levity where it's like, this is hysterical. This yeah. is why we play this game. This is why we come every Monday and do this because we get to have fun. <laughs> People yeah. get to turn into plants. Like it's great. And a, a bit more of like a, a t- like actual usable takeaway and pro tip for anyone out there who's GMing. Giving your level one party a rod of wonder is one of the best things you can do because it's so unpredictable. It's so ridiculous. And it's also their best item. So you know they're going to use it. Hmm. I like it. It's nice. I like it a lot. Okay. Um, I think we might be. I think we might be hitting that wall, so to speak. Is that a technical term? Is that a podcast uh, term? Well, I wall? I wouldn't. Yeah. Uh, well, I no. Uh, All right. I, don't, <laughs> like, I, I wouldn't say I'm... I wouldn't use that term. 
<laughs> but, listen to Joe try to be nice. Yeah, yeah, I'm trying to formulate this in the best way. Uh, just we've, say, we've done our just due say, diligence. We've, just we've hit all Matt, the marks. Just say, Matt, <laughs> you're wrong and shut up. That's what you have to say. <laughs> Matt, you, you're an amazing person. And oh, I think we are at the end of our evening. Stop it. Stop. <laughs> I'll never stop. Awesome. So stop. this was amazing. I had a yeah. lot of, I personally, if we're debriefing, I had a crap ton of fun <laughs> being able to talk about this. And Derek, thank you very much for coming on, for hanging out with us, dealing with our chaotic before we even started the the podcast. Amanda, I love you very much. Please don't hurt me. Um, <laughs> and tell the fine people where they can find you, where they can find Emberwind, where can they find everything? Sure. Um, first and foremost, thank you so much for having me. This has been a hell of a blast too. Uh, definitely not what I had originally intended for my Friday evening, but I, I mean, again, my wife, please don't kill me too for wasting her date night on this. But I'll make it up to you. Um, but sorry to, to answer your, your, your questions, but where people can find me. Um, the easiest place to find stuff about me, to find stuff about, about the stuff that I do, and also to just chat with me if you want, is to go on over to my game's website, which is amberwindgame.com. There you'll be able to find all the information about the game, uh, and also a link to our Discord, where I am always active because I have no life, and you can bug me about anything that you decide that you want to talk about. Um, beyond that, you can also find out uh, it's not quite open or there yet, but we have a second site called nonvorgames.com where we're starting up a brand new series of simpler, easier tabletop games that uh, are framed towards family-friendly accessibility so you can get all your kids and turn them into nerds too. Yes. Awesome, awesome. Okay, and of course I'm not prepared with the plugs. Ah, ah. <laughs> Why do I no. do this all the oh, time? No. They're in I've the document. I know. I've been so good, though. <laughs> ah, not prepared. Cut this out of the podcast or leave it, actually. Edit. It might be funnier. I mean, I mean, I even have them. Do you want me to do your plugs? I'm in. I'm in the mainframe. Thank you all for listening to the Guardians Mental Health Podcast. If you can, please leave us a review on iTunes, Podbean, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Help spread the podcast and allows others to listen to it who might not have it might not come across their screens. Keep up to date with everything we are doing over at guardiansmh.org and follow us on Twitter at guardiansmh. Join our partner Discord server at discord.gg/guardiansmh where we provide peer support, mental health resources, and we're just a really chill community. Um, help us keep the lights on here over at Guardians MH by donating to our Tiltify if you can at tiltify.com slash Guardians MH. Um, if you'd like to help us continue our mental health kit initiative, making sure the kits that we provide to everyone remain free and we can ship them across the U.S. and starting hopefully very soon internationally, uh, check us out over on two places, patreon.com slash GMH mental health kits or our coffee at coffee.com slash guardians mh. Uh, if you'd like some uh, lit fire flame merch, yes, I said it, go to bonfire.com slash store slash guardians mh. 
take a look around. We have shirts. We have mugs. We have bags, I think, too. We have everything. Go to there. Um, and last but not least, also as well, too, if you want to check out Emberwind and you also want to get a oh God, where'd it go? 10% off your first order over at Emberwind, go to shop.emberwindgame.com slash discount slash GMH, and you can get 10% off of your first purchase. Thank you so much for that plug. And I will absolutely also anyone out there who's trying to feel good and support um, Guardians here that we do give back. So if you use their promo code, they'll get a kickback, which will help you know keep their proverbial and literal lights on. Thank you very much for that. We appreciate it. And friends, family, guardians, thank you for joining us as well. And have a good night. Yes, indeed. Bye.